Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by ITL Coaching Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. This is George. Patrick and I appreciate your joining us once again. Thanks for downloading us, folks. Um, This is an episode, as you'll hear me say again in a few minutes, that is more than a year in the making here. It's a topic that we've been talking about for a little while, and we've been talking around, but we've been gathering our own data for over the course of the last little while here, and now we want to share with you. Um, And that is, of course, the the Vaporfly 4% shoes. the Vaporfly 4%, you're going to hear us talk a lot more about where they came from and all that sort of thing once we actually start the episode here in just a few minutes. Um, but we do just want to mention that, that they have definitely made their presence felt. Um, not only are you kind of blown away by the number of people you see wearing them at the California International Marathon, which Patrick ran, or the Philadelphia uh, Marathon, which I ran, um, but if you just look at the Abbott World Marathon majors, the six races, um, London, Tokyo, uh, Berlin, uh, New York, Chicago, and Boston, if you just look at those six races and you consider the podium finishers in those six races, so 18 men finished on the podium in those six races. 12 of those 18 men were wearing Vaporfly 4%. And that includes four wins. Most notably, of course, the win by Elia Kipchoge in 201.39, setting the world record in Berlin. Um, it also notably includes the last six podium places. Chicago is in October. New York City is in November. Those are the last two on the World Marathon major calendar. Um, and first, second, and third in both of those races were all wearing Vaporfly shoes. Now, they weren't necessarily the Vaporfly 4% that you and I can go to the local shoe store and buy. Um, they might have been a custom-made pair of Vaporflies, uh, but nonetheless, the technology is very similar, if not exactly the same. Uh, on the women's side, it's actually similar numbers. 18 different podium places at the Abbott World Marathon Majors. 11 of those uh, were wearing Vaporfly 4% or Vaporfly shoes. Uh, three of them were wins. Uh, so remember, this is not just Vaporfly versus a particular other shoe. This is Vaporfly versus every other shoe out there, including, by the way, some other Nike shoes. Um, This is Vaporfly versus every other shoe on the market, be it Brooks or Asics or uh, Adidas or whatever it happens to be. Um, And so pretty incredible numbers there. they've, They've definitely made their presence felt. I wanted to remind you before we got going here that you can always reach out to me or Patrick. Let us know about your own experience with Vaporflies or with anything else. Ask us questions, give us comments, offer us constructive criticisms. Uh, My email address is george at itlcoaching.com. Patrick is patrick at itlcoaching.com. Or you can just send one to both of us at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. On with the show. Everybody and welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast, brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel and ITO Coaching and Performance. This is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm Patrick Ollinger, also an endurance coach and athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. Today we have an episode that we've been promising for a while, mm-hmm. and it's about a year in the making, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and and we're gonna be talking about the Vaporfly Four Percent. Now, yeah. um, both Patrick and I wore the Vaporfly 4% in our recent marathons. I did it in Philadelphia. He did it in, in CIM. Um, and we both had successful races there. We both had good races there. Um, and and I, I dare say part of the reason why we both bought the Vaporfly 4% and raced them is because we kind of wanted to see whether they were for real. 
Yeah. Is that, would you say that? Yeah, I, I joked with someone. I, I can't remember what the, the cost was, but I said half of this cost is I want to run better. The other half is I'm just curious to know what it looks and feels like. No, yeah, very mm-hmm. much. I mean, yeah, I, I, I think that's actually a good way to say it because for me to say, hey, well, I don't care how fast I run, that's totally not true. <laughs> I mean, I obviously care how fast I run. Um, but but more than that, I, I just kind of wanted to be part – I wanted to ride this wave a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wanted to kind of see what it was all about. Um, and so – um, so yeah, we, as promised, we're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about the, uh, about, about the Vaporfly 4% sum. Now, um, let's give a little bit of background first. Um, uh, for those of you who haven't been following the Vaporfly 4% all that close, there's a couple quick things I want to say in terms of, of background here. First thing, um, they arose out of the Breaking 2 project. So about a year and a half ago when, when Nike uh, chose three athletes, including, of course, Elliot Kipchoge, and said, okay, we want to try and control as many factors that we possibly can to try and get somebody under two hours. One of the things they did is they developed a pair of shoes they said would improve the efficiency of the runners who were actually wearing them. Um, and so this Vaporfly 4%, is the shoe it's the consumer version of the shoe that arose out of the breaking two project now for me personally it originally seemed really unrealistic i mean i read all the things about it just like i read about all the other stuff that they did there you know they had a pace car and they had the 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 guys all kind of set up as as um the the uh, in the diamond formation for drafting, and they were they were giving uh, him nutrition every kilometer mark, and just like all of these various things, and he had these special shoes, right? And so for me, it kind of felt like okay, this is just part of all the things that they get to do, and that Elliot Kipchoge gets to have in this Breaking Two project that we actually don't get to have, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, or it could be that like it's all these these things that pros get to have that the rest of us don't get to have, like altitude tents mm-hmm. um, or like in triathlon, the $15,000 bike, you know, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I mean, there are things that pros get the rest of us don't get because they're prohibitively expensive, right. right? And so I kind of originally thought about them in those terms. Um, now, they're called the Vaporfly 4%, of course, because Nike claimed, and it was backed up by an independent University of Colorado study that they would make you 4% more efficient. And over the course of a marathon, that would give you a time of, about one and a half percent faster. Um, it would flat out make you faster just by changing your shoes. And important to point out, that's not versus like a pair of army boots. Like we're talking about versus Nike's other racing flats for marathons. Um, it would make you actually faster than those simply by changing your shoes. Now, so for me, I think the two, there were, there were a couple of big things that, that ultimately led me to wear them. And I, I kind of want to I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it too, Patrick. First of all, last year when we were at the starting line of the Chicago Marathon, I looked around and we're we're at that marathon where people come to run fast, um, and we're we're in the front corral. And I look around and I see a lot of these shoes, and it was strange because I was like, "What people are actually buying these shoes? They cost two hundred fifty dollars, and I'm at this regular old place, and people are actually buying the shoes. I had never actually laid eyes on them until that point." And this was the first generation of the shoes that had come out. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so that that was a real kind of eye opening moment for me. That I was like, okay, this maybe these aren't just for pros. Like mm-hmm. regular people are buying them. And then the second big thing that 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 really kind of moved them outside of the realm of the impossible into something I wanted to try out was the Strava study in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. So we talked about this several months ago when it first came out on the podcast here, but um, basically the, the the New York Times gathered a whole bunch of Strava data from thousands of runners who had switched to the Vaporfly and found that even when they controlled for things like age and, and running more and things like that, they did in fact get faster 
on an average of about one and a half percent. That blew me away. And there and there were there were flaws in the study. It wouldn't pass scientific muster. But the fact that that they had so many cases, just thousands upon thousands of people, all of whom were getting faster, almost all of whom were getting faster by virtue of, of changing their shoes, that kind of blew me away. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it also built on the idea that oh well, people are wearing these shoes, and they're getting faster by wearing them. And so, so for me, I really kind of wanted to be part of that. And so when they, when they released a, a new version of them, a new iteration of them in October, both you and I and another training partner of ours, Giovanni, all kind of resolved that we would get a pair, mm-hmm. right? Does that kind of capture it, you think? Very much so. For me, the big kind of um, change of heart for me was when I read that study, the Strava study that was published in the New York Times. That, to me, yeah. was like, okay. Um, as you said, it wasn't as academic as you know, maybe a study published by Harvard, but there was, but in a way it was almost more convincing for that very reason because their yeah. sample size was just so huge. Yeah. And it, and it was in, real people for like a better way of saying it. It was real people. It was also very, it, the data was still valid. I mean, they still had to run the marathon. Yeah. I mean, there's no way to, to, you know, cut a course when you're being tracked on Strava. There's mm-hmm. no way to, um, kind of fake it till you make it or, or anything of that nature in, in marathon running. So that to me was was the big change of heart. And then, out of curiosity, I went to try the shoes at a running store, and immediately was like, "Man, I, these feel better. It feels like you're running with springs on your feet almost." Yeah. And so then I was like, "Okay, now, now I have to give this a shot just to see what happens and see what it feels like." Yeah, right on, right on. Um, so a couple of other kind of quick things to say about them before before we really get into sort of our experience with them. Um, the other thing to say about them is that they're actually really fragile. They are, which is weird. Um, and so, so by most accounts, you only get about 80 to hundred miles out of them. And so, you know, you, the math on it, you're paying $250 for a hundred miles worth of running, yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, two and a half dollars per, per, per mile that you run in them. Um, the way that I was able to wrap my mind around them was by thinking about them as if they're race wheels. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and so for those of you who are triathletes, um, you're familiar with the idea of renting race wheels and getting free speed on race day. Um, this is kind of what it felt like to me is that, that I'm, I'm renting race wheels, but ahead of the, of, of the Philadelphia marathon, I wore them twice. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought them and then they sat in a box in my office for two or three weeks because I just mm-hmm. didn't have the opportunity to wear them. I'm not going to go out and just wear them for a regular old run because mm-hmm. I don't want to waste the precious miles that I have with them just, you know, and I, and I run so much on trails. I sure as I wasn't going to take them on trails. No. Um, (laughs) And so, so I continued to do workouts in in my other ones, but then um, I wore them around, I wore them to dinner the night before the Tulsa 15 K, which was my, my tune up race three weeks beforehand. And then I warmed up regularly for the Tulsa 15 K and then put them on and ran about three quarters of a mile briskly as part of my warm up, And that was the first time I had run in them. And I was uncertain, dude. I was like, I was like, I don't know. This is a bad idea. I don't know. Like, should I really be racing in these things? I haven't really worn them all. That. I need to. And I was like, go ahead. Yeah, I was saying, I felt especially like that because I run in Mizuno's. Yeah. And Mizuno's have like that wave plate, so it is a very different feel. Mm-hmm. And I've run in Mizuno's since I was sixteen, maybe seventeen, mm-hmm. exclusively. Mm-hmm. And so when I first put on the pair, it was like, oh boy, mm-hmm. this is this is a different pair of running shoes. See, it, see, it didn't. For me, it felt different from racing flats, mm-hmm. but it didn't feel different from the shoes I normally run in mm-hmm. because, because and we'll talk more about this in a minute, they feel kind of like hokas, mm-hmm. and I've been running in hokas lately. Yeah. They feel squishy. Yeah. Um, and so for me, that sort of squishy feeling was not foreign. Yeah. Um, and and, um, and so, so for me, it was more like 
this is not how a racing flat is supposed to feel. Like racing flats are supposed to feel snappy and light, and they don't necessarily feel that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so yeah, that's the reason why I was second guessing them. But of course, I kind of said, well, this is a tune-up race. If it goes badly, that's good to know because the whole point is to try out your stuff before your race, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so I wore them and ended up having a great race. <laughs> yeah. Um, then I wore them for one more workout, and then I wore them for the marathon. I wore them for, for a workout on the road, an eight-mile workout on the road, and I wore them for the marathon. And so my hope is, my plan is, I have another marathon in May. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wear them for a half marathon a month out. I'm going to wear them for one more workout, and I'm going to wear them for, for the marathon itself. And that might be it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll have to decide whether to buy another pair or whether to do something else. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so their, their fragile nature is something unique to them and something that definitely changed the approach. Yeah. Um, third thing to say about them, and I think this is important, is that we, and by we, I don't just mean me and Patrick. I mean we, the public, outside of, of the labs in Nike, we don't know how they work. No. Like, like it's pretty much an established fact that that you get a 4% benefit or that, that on average people get a 4% efficiency benefit. People are faster in them. There has been multiple studies that have shown that. There was recently a, a study from Grand Valley State that showed that not only do you get it in a marathon, but you get about a 2% efficiency boost in like a 3K and 5K. And so they can even help you with really, really short races. They haven't even been been um, given to the short races. Um, and and it's undoubted that, that they, they have made an enormous impact in in like the pro ranks. Um, if you look at like the 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 top the world marathon majors right now um you know we talked about how in chicago both the men's and the women's race were won by vaporfly wearers and they dropped the last vaporfly wearer the men's race did at about mile 23 and the top five or six people in the race were all wearing vaporflies mm-hmm. right um you know if, if i look right now i'm looking at the list of world marathon majors let's see um uh tokyo and boston were won by people not wearing vapor flies. Mm-hmm. And then the n- other four, London, Berlin, Chicago, and and New York City, were all won by men wearing vapor flies, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you look at the women's, Tokyo was won by vapor flies. Boston was won not by vapor flies. But then London and, and Chicago were both won wearing vapor flies, right? Mm-hmm. There was a world record, obviously, Elliot Kipchoge at Berlin wearing vapor flies set that record um there was a world 15k record set a couple weeks ago in the vapor flies Mm -hmm. there was a world uh uh, half marathon record set a couple weeks ago in vapor flies um this past friday and this is fascinating to me this past friday there was a a a marathon in abu dhabi the abu dhabi marathon Mm -hmm. um and and the entire front pack was wearing vapor flies including a guy named emmanuel mutai emmanuel mutai is sponsored by adidas yeah and he I was wearing that. vapor flies. <laughs> what? Yeah. I mean, and so so it's not, I mean, it's almost as if Adidas is like looking at it being like, yeah, dude, there's a big payday at stake here in Abu Dhabi. You can wear the shoes that we know is going to make you faster because we don't have anything to compete with that. Yeah. That's incredible to me. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. Um, and so so the, the, the fact that they make a difference is, at least for most people, is, is kind of an accepted fact now. Mm-hmm. Um, but that being said, we actually don't know why and how. Now, I first thought, and I think a lot of people thought, and maybe you thought too, um, that it was, oh, they have this carbon plate in them, and it acts like a spring, yeah. right? And so you're just bouncing down the road. Because when you run in it, you feel like you're bouncing. So I don't. You do. 
Yeah, I definitely do. Yeah, and I've, I've talked to other people who say they feel like they do too. Mm-hmm. They feel like they're getting a bounce down the road. I don't feel like I get a bounce down the road. And it could be that I've never run in like a soft shoe like you have, like the Hocus. Maybe. I've always run in, the like I said, the Mizunos with the wave plates. Yeah. Um, but what we're actually realizing now, based on a couple of recent studies, is that it's actually the squishy foam. It's actually the foam that's giving more of a bounce and it's giving more of an energy return than, than the actual plate itself. The plate does a couple of things, and it changes the way that your foot levers off the ground, mm-hmm. but we just don't know exactly how it works. Um, there was there was uh, one researcher said, he estimated that you probably get 3% of the boost from the foam and 1% from the, from the plate itself, mm-hmm. um, but they might interact in a way that we don't totally understand, such yeah. that the sum is greater than the, or the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Um, you know, like Alex Hutchison writing about it says, the math might not be that simple. There may be some synergy between the foam and plate that makes the whole greater than the sum of its parts, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so, so it may be that the foam is giving you this return, but if the plate wasn't there, the foam would be too squishy, and you wouldn't be able to get a return from it, right? right. So, and you would have no stability. Right, right. Yeah, and, and you don't have a lot of stability as it is, by the way. Mm-mm. Like, they don't corner well. <laughs> I, so you mentioned running a 5K in them. I could not running a, imagine running a 5K on a track in them. So yeah. for those of you who've never Constantly run in turning. them or maybe haven't yeah. heard, you feel like you're running on a shoe that is like just big enough so that if you're running in a straight line and your foot kind of moves in a straight forward motion – you're okay, but you're still kind of running on a balance beam. Yeah. But the second you have to turn it all, it's almost like your foot falls off the balance beam. Yeah. And I can even tell you, I, totally I actually agree. had a bit of an And an I injury. fell off a couple of times, by the way. Well, yeah, and I was say I actually had a bit of an injury issue. So I t- first I tested them twice before running the marathon in them. I did the half I had the Athens half and running in them. And before that, I did a a twenty mile long run. I did the final ten miles in the vaporflies because I wanted to know like how does this work when I'm fatigued. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I use that as a bit of a, a way to test how they would feel kind of towards the end of a marathon and make sure that they're not sure. something that's great and springy the first five and then just a disaster at the end when you right. really need some some support. Right. And after both of those, I noticed the outside of my foot was killing me because what's happening is you're almost hitting, and when you had to turn, it's almost like your foot falls, like I said, it falls off the the balance beam, so to speak, or yeah. off the shoe, and it falls towards the outside. Mm-hmm. So like imagine just way under pronating when you're trying to turn like to the point where almost like the side of your foot is like hitting the ground every time yeah so that's at least how i was now my gait could have exaggerated it you know compared to somebody else mm-hmm. but i can tell you that was my big concern like i couldn't i don't know if i could do a marathon in the vapor flies if there were as many turns like the athens half marathon right. where you're just constantly making 90 degree right. turns right um yeah no i i very much had that feeling and and so the, the 15K that I ran in them, my tune-up race I ran in them, there was a lot of turns in that one. I mm-hmm. mean, just like there was in your tune-up race. And I fell off them a few times. Yeah. They have – so their stack height at the heel is 31 millimeters. Mm-hmm. And that's that's a stack height that is comparable to a Hoka. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's so weird to me that they feel like running on Hokas. I mean, that's very much what they feel like. That's what that's what it feels like to run on Hokas. Yeah. Um, and so but, – but it's very narrow. And so I like your balance beam analogy. I thought about it like running on a train track. You know, like, 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 like as soon as you start to turn, you can kind of fall off. Um, and I fell off a few times. Yeah. <laughs> and even when yeah. you're not falling off, it does put a little bit extra strain on some of the st- stabilizing muscles that run up your leg mm-hmm. and like the outside of your foot because you're just constantly balancing. Yeah. Just a little bit extra, almost like trail running. But see, that's what's so weird, though, is that that they make you more efficient 
And so, so by virtue of the fact that they make you more efficient, it seems like they wouldn't be overworking all those little bitty tiny things. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and and because because let's be clear on one other thing about it. The the we said that they work, and we don't know totally how they work. They work somehow by changing the way your foot levers off the ground. Yeah. But but because they make you more efficient. What they do is they help you finish more strongly, mm-hmm. right? And so, so in other words, if you imagine setting out at say six minute pace, mm-hmm. if normally you could only run six minute pace for twenty one miles and then you would completely fall apart, this s- makes you more efficient so that you can stretch out that six minute pace up to twenty six miles, mm-hmm. for example, um, rather than just kind of falling off a cliff and not being able to hold that pace anymore. And so it yeah. means you can run faster longer yeah. it doesn't actually mean even though you said it feels springy to you it doesn't actually mean that it's like propelling you down the road right and so so it's not like it's not like you can put them on a 400 and be like oh i'm so much faster than the 400 or like if you wanted to test them you couldn't like run a mile in them one day or mile in one pair of shoes one day and then like a mile in the in the the vapor flies the next day and expect to go so much faster than the vapor flies because right. that's not what they do they're not like running on springs they save your efficiency so that you can run faster longer yeah um and so that's also kind of why it's difficult for us to really pin down for you and me at least to pin down okay how much are they really helping me mm-hmm. you know or at least it's, it's it's hard for me to pin it down um so mm-hmm. does that give a good background you think patrick of kind of where we are with the vapor flies and all that sort of thing i i think it does and, and it, it's it's been kind of a fascinating journey yeah because like i said a lot of people are now diving into what in the world is this a because yeah. other companies want to replicate it yeah um, and B, because other runners and researchers and just curious minds want to know what yeah. in the world is going on here, yeah. how much of this is real, yeah. uh, how much of this is a placebo effect, that kind of a thing. Yeah. And, and C, because if it's, if it's equipment doping, mm-hmm. then there might need to be rules around it, right? Right. So there's a lot of people that said as, as soon as they came out and they were so much faster and all that sort of thing, a lot of people said, oh, well, if the carbon plate is a spring, then they need to ban carbon plates. Well, if it turns out the carbon plate's not really doing anything for you, it's the foam that's doing it, banning carbon plates is kind of missing the point, right? right? Um, and so you would need to ban the foam. And when are we going to ban foam in shoes? I mean, that seems like a strange thing to do. Yeah, um, and it it's, it all, you know, in, in track and field, obviously we have always had the question of, you know, we always want to go, you know, higher, faster, stronger, mm-hmm. so to speak, longer. But then the question is, well, then we have to draw the line at steroids because you can't change your body's chemistry, right? right? And then with equipment, then the question is, how much can we keep improving equipment to the point right. where it's not running anymore? Or right. it's it, it feels like there's the haves and the have-nots yeah. based on I have this equipment and you right. don't. Well, springs, for example, in, in track and field, mm-hmm. springs are, are not allowed. You yeah. can't run with springs on your feet. Which makes all the sense in the world. Sure. I mean, that seems very intuitive yeah. and obvious. Yeah. yeah, you can't run with springs on your feet. And so so if the, if there was, in fact, a spring-loaded action to, to the carbon plate, that would make them illegal, and they mm-hmm. could be banned. Um, but Nike insisted that they're not, and then all this research is being done on them is showing, yeah, that's not actually what the carbon plate does. Yeah. If anything, what the carbon plate does, it says, is it keeps your toes straighter mm-hmm. um, and improves your toe off. Mm-hmm. Now, one person, I should say this also, um, when I was first thinking about getting them, I also, um, I bought a pair of Zoom Flies, mm-hmm. which is kind of like the trainer version of the Vaporfly 4%. Yeah. They have similar treads on the bottom and they're, and they're shaped similarly. The stack is not as high. Um, and there was at least one listener who asked me to kind of compare the Zoom Flies to the, to the, the Vaporflies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the short answer to that is there's not really a comparison. 
Yeah. Um, you know, they, they, they sell the Zoom flies and they market the Zoom flies as like tempo running and, and even racing shoes. Um, and they're not. They're kind of lightweight trainers. Yeah. Um, and I think they're good in that in that role. But but they're not the same thing. It's it, it'd be like the difference between comparing a racing shoe from from. I mean, they, they have a similar toe off feel. Um, but, but anytime you put on a pair of racing shoes, they feel lighter, they feel springier, they feel, they feel racier. Yeah. Um, and, and your vapor flies definitely feel more that way, even though they do make that weird sound. (laughs) So, so I think we mentioned this in the last podcast when we were talking about CIM and how there was nobody around in the first 10 miles and all you could hear was a squish, squish. They make a really weird sound. Like such the first time I wore them, I felt kind of self-conscious about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they sound like you're running with wet shoes, like squish, 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 squish. They Mm -hmm. sound like that. Yeah. They sound kind of silly. All right, so let's just come out with it then. Do you think they made a big difference for you? Yes. And what's interesting is, and I don't know how much of this was small sample size, but I definitely noticed the difference in the half marathon. The marathon, I couldn't quite tell the difference. And I don't, that's very anecdotal. It could have been that I had the lungs thing going on for the marathon and not the half marathon. Mm -hmm. It could have been that CIM was, you know, a gentle downhill. So then the spring action doesn't feel as exaggerated as when you're going uphill or um, on even ground, but that was kind of my one interesting tidbit from my two races in the, in the Nike vapor flies and one hundred percent, they made a difference. Hmm. Very good. I mean, so you think they made a difference because of the way you felt while running or by looking at your times? Both. Definitely both. So, so, so talk to me more. So talk about each one of those things. So yes, yeah, so I PR in the marathon in the half. For so the half half was roughly about a one and a half minute PR, maybe more like one fifteen or so. Because um, the problem is, I'll say too, I've my half marathon PR was on a course that was long, so it's a little hard to like in on, with Strava and and GPS. We could say it was significantly long, but it still was a PR. So it's a little hard to say. All right, well, do I go by the the long time or like what my GPS watch says is thirteen point one, that yeah. kind of a thing. Um, but we'll just say overall minutes a mile was down about five seconds per mile in, in the half marathon mm-hmm. and the marathon. It was definitely, it was once again, very similar PR um, in that mi- minutes per mile was about six seconds faster at CIM than at Chicago the previous year. Yeah. So you could say it's, Oh, it's, it's going to improve your time five seconds per mile rather than like an actual like 1.5% throughout the whole marathon. Mm-hmm. Um, but Anyways, all that is to say, my times were definitely better, and then I definitely felt better, and I felt like I finished strong in the half marathon, whereas the marathon felt like all my other marathons. My splits had the same basic distribution as all my other, you know, marathon race, all my other like eight marathon races. Mm-hmm. If if we set aside, if we set aside that last month, which you and I talked about in the last podcast, and and we talked about how you know you were sick for the last month. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you weren't able to really train all that much. And so you ended up having a really sharp one month long taper. Yeah. Like um, a full, like 30 days. Yeah. yeah. And, and if we set that aside though, and we just kind of s- pretend like that w- worked out okay, because mm-hmm. evidently it did. Um, you were, you were pretty fit. I mean, you had trained for this for a year. You were pretty fit coming into it mm-hmm. though. And so, so, I mean, I also, I don't want to say that I don't want to speak for you and say you were in the best shape of your life, but, but. I was the best marathon shape of my you're, life. You're close, sure. yeah. yeah. And so, so, so there's, and and you're you're on a fast course, you're in really really good shape. It's it seems to stand to reason that you would run three minutes faster regardless of the shoes that you're wearing. Correct. So, 
So that that to me, I don't know. That that to me feels like an argument that 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 they didn't necessarily help you. Uh, you know, that's a good point. Um, the I, I I in many ways ran exactly what I set out to run. I mean, my A goal was two thirty seven, my B goal was two thirty nine. Lo and behold, I ran a two thirty eight. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I didn't feel the same sense of like this feels different running the marathon versus yeah. the half. It could have been back to your they only last eighty miles or so. <laughs> and mine lasted. I, 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 I guess mine were like miles twenty-five to fifty were the marathon roughly, yeah. but who, who really knows? Yeah, I mean, so, so you can. Prob- I, cer- I certainly don't regret running the marathon in them. No, I and I don't either. And so, so you can probably guess by the nature of my questions here. That I, I'm still a little skeptical, mm-hmm. and and I, in, in the interest of full disclosure, I think that we as runners have an interest in being skeptical of this yeah. because we want to say, no, 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 I ran what I ran. Yeah. Um, and I worked really, really hard and I buried myself in the last 10 K of that race. And that's the reason why I ran this. Not because I have these $250 shoes. Let me say this too. I don't think it improved my time by a percent and a half. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's what happened at yeah. all. And see, and, and so, so I, I, I think that's what we really want to say. Yeah. But then we also, but then, we look at all the studies, though, and you know the, both the scientific and the unscientific ones. You know the the, the recent ones and, and the not so recent ones, and 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 it's like okay, there is there's supposed to be some sort of benefit here, and so so you know I ran two thirty seven right at two thirty seven flat, so a percent and a half, it still would have put me just under two forty, and I had said that my goal was to squeeze under two forty, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm I'm just not totally convinced. I mean, I do think that racing flats make a difference. Yeah. I do think that putting on racing flats versus wearing your training shoes, I do think those make a make a difference. Um, but but versus regular racing flats, if I would have worn say the Adidas Adios, um, or, or or one of the other shoes, um, say the Brooks Hyperion, which is what I raced in the 5K this summer, um, and what I did a lot of workouts in, if I would have worn my Brooks Hyperions, would they would they have have would I have gone one and a half percent slower than I did wearing the vapor flies? I'm not totally convinced of that. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to be, mind you. I mean, admittedly. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm, I'm just not totally convinced of it. Um, now, go ahead. And I'll be curious to your thoughts on this. So here here's something that I noticed when running the marathon. So generally, my previous like eight marathons, what happens is I run the marathon, uh, first half, relatively – I do a very slow first 5K, then I just kind of gradually pick up the pace every 5K mm-hmm. through about mile 22 or so. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, all right, hang on. Cattywapus, we're just trying to make it through the end here. <laughs> Penguin who left the oven on. Isn't That's that what exactly you said right. last year. Des- yeah. All desperation and no grace. <laughs> um, and that happened again this year. And I actually, my splits looked very, very similar for every 5K, like in terms of like first 5K slower. Then from about mile three to mile 13 is the second slowest part of the race. Then about the half, I really start to pick it up and just get faster and faster until I hit that cattywampus at about 22, 23. And then it's just survival mode. So if you look at, if I were to plug everything into a spreadsheet, it looks, the kind of basic distribution looks very similar to all my marathons. But what made this one different is, usually what happens is I hit that cattywampus state because my quads are shot or my calves are shot, depending on how much what the hill um right. breakdown looks like right 
this time, what really prevented me from going faster, what really kind of made me hit that wall where it's like, I can't even run fast if I wanted to. I'm just surviving, you know, doing about 20 seconds a mile slower than, than my the previous 20 plus miles was not the calves or the quads. It was actually like the outside of my ankle and the outside of my foot. Mm-hmm. That's what was kind of causing the extreme sharp pain that was causing me to limp and kind of do the, the marathon waddle at the, at the end there. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting too, because that gets to the stability piece we were talking about before, mm-hmm. because those, those are kind of a lot of the stabilizing muscles. So those are the muscles that really start to take a hit yeah. when you start to kind of fall off the end of the shoe there. Yeah. Now with that said, um, I am a runner who has relatively poor balance, even if we're a runner. And so if there's a shoe that puts a little extra stress on those muscles, I'm going to suffer a bit more than, than kind of your average runner. Mm-hmm. So um, I just thought that was interesting that it could be that it, maybe it solves some problems, but then introduces new ones. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I definitely think, too, um, I have a few more things to say. I mean, I, I definitely think, too, that, that there's nothing wrong with saying that it varies, yeah. that, that, that some people might get more than 4%. Some people might get 6%. Other people might get 1%. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and different race distances. Like I said, the half marathon, I think it totally made a difference because yeah. you don't hit that wall mm-hmm. that you would for a marathon. Yeah. But then the marathon, I definitely was like, mm. it's almost just reintroduced. It took away old ones and introduced new ones. See, and my, my quads become the limiter. I mean, yeah. my quads become super painful. Um, and that was true when I ran the Blue Ridge Relay. Um, I wasn't wearing my Vaporfly 4%, so then I was wearing Zoom Flies. Um, and, and that was true in New York City a couple couple years ago, and that was true in Philadelphia this time. Okay. Um, and so my, my, and my quads felt like they had been beaten with a hammer just as much as they had in the past, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so if you go by terms of how I just objectively felt in that back half, I don't, I don't feel like I don't feel like I felt so much better and felt so much stronger. Um, and, you know, in, in the Philadelphia Marathon, my, my slowest mile of the race was mile 25. And it wasn't because that was a big uphill mile. It wasn't. Um, it was just because it was mile 25 of a marathon, mm-hmm. right? Now, that being said, I was running with some people in the last 10K of Philadelphia, and I ran away from those people. And now, even though I, I ran my slowest mile, I was able to drop the people I was with. Right. And I outkicked a guy, you know. We joked about that last. I mean, I had I had something left to actually find another gear. Was that my training? Was that the fact that I had somebody that I could potentially outkick? I mean, you know, what, I mean, what, what exactly happened? And what's more, that 15k, I had the fastest last 5k in the whole race. I finished fourth overall, but I had a faster last 5k than the three guys who beat me and everybody else in the race. You know, to the degree that it helps you not slow down that would be maybe potentially evidence that, that they do work. But the problem with that for me personally is that I've always been that guy. <laughs> right. I've always been the guy who catches people in the last 5K. Um, I've always been the one who's able to close really, really strong. You know, I haven't always outkicked people, but I'm always the one who has, who has the fast last mile, who, who, whose pace doesn't fall off a cliff, right? Um, you know, a good example, probably best example of my life, ACC championships my junior year in, in college, I'm running the 5,000 meters, and the 5,000 meters is the run race that everybody runs, right, yeah. outdoors. Um, and at um, at the two laps in, it's 12 and a half laps, two laps in, I'm in 40-something place. At the mile mark, I'm in 24th place. I finished second. Mm-hmm. 
and was just passing people the whole time. And it's because everybody else was falling off the pace, and I ran steadily and just kept passing and passing and passing and passing and passing. And I got all ACC, and it was fantastic. Race of my life, literally. Um, and so, so I've always been that guy. Yeah. And so, so the fact that that I can look and oh, well, I was faster than everybody else in the, in the in the real tail end of this, that's convincing, but at the same time, not convincing because I'm I'm that guy anyway. Right. So kind of like my story where the subjectively the race was very similar to previous races. Yeah, exactly. And so, so it, it, it I mean, like, like you said, if you, if you graph out the, the, the splits in the way that it unfolds, they look very similar to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that I would definitely say that, mm-hmm. um, this is what my races, my good races tend to look like. Yeah. You know? Um, so, so yeah, I, Again, full disclosure, I don't totally want to be convinced. <laughs> yeah. um, but at the same time, I'm not totally convinced yet. I'll still wear them, of course. Like I said, for, for I'll wear them for the, the Star Wars half marathon. It's my mm-hmm. tune-up race in April. Mm-hmm. I'll do another workout probably on Columns Drive again. Um, you know, long, flat road here here uh, in East Cobb. Uh, not here in East Cobb, but in East Cobb near where we live. Um, and uh, and and I'll, I'll do them for, for Flying Pig Marathon on May 5th. And and maybe that'll give me a little bit more insight, but but just at this point, despite what the studies are saying, I'm not entirely convinced. Yeah, it, it, it's at hard least for to me. Know. At least for me. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a fascinating topic to think about mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, for sure. And if nothing else, it provides food for thought for other companies to latch onto and to continue to kind of build innovative products. Yeah. And then we'll see where we are ten years from now. Yeah, for sure. Now I might totally screw up everything I just said by saying this. By the way. Um. So since I have Achilles issues, I've been putting lifts in all of my shoes, just little old school felt foam pads mm-hmm. in the bottom of my shoes. And the first night, the, the first time I put on my vapor flies, I was walking around Tulsa going to dinner. I was like, all right, I need to put a lift in this shoe as well. So I put a lift in it. Mm-hmm. And so admittedly, maybe that's the reason why I feel like it doesn't work so well for me personally, is that, that I, I screw up the whole thing by putting a felt lift under my heel mm-hmm. that's possible because i mean they yeah. change they, they change the way that your foot levers against the ground and so so i am changing the way that my foot levers against the ground by raising up the heel about a centimeter or two mm-hmm. right and so so i mean that would that'd be a fair critique like um if somebody wanted to say well, well george the reason why that happens is because of that so full disclosure there too so so maybe 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 people who've been listening to this podcast are like i'm really interested what george has to say ah oh, forget it he just totally screwed it up because he he complete change the mechanics of the shoe fair uh, maybe i did but but i had to do that or else you know my achilles probably wouldn't wouldn't allow me to finish the race so yeah um final words on the uh, the vaporfly four uh, percent my final words would be i recommend them if a you're curious or, or b you really are in, in that mindset where even a a one percent change mm-hmm. in your time is worth several hundred dollars yeah uh, if not i would say you know, hold tight, wait for, for more <laughs> products to come on the line, and then you can probably buy it at a cheaper rate once the, the market starts to get saturated, et cetera. But overall, it's fascinating to think about the idea that we could really improve human performance this significantly based on equipment. Cause mm-hmm. it, it could also teach us a little bit more about what fatigue actually is and yeah. why we slow down so much at the end of the marathon. And how we can train ourselves to avoid it um, without using special equipment. Right. 
Yeah, without spending two hundred fifty dollars or two hundred sixty five with tax and shipping mm-hmm. uh, on uh, on shoes. Um, and on that note, by the way, they've leaked the next version. Have you seen it? Yeah, you sent it to me. Yeah, Woo. it's 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 bright green and it has sort of a uh, the material is it's it's what they use on the Mayfly, the Nike Mayflies, uh, five or six years ago, and so it's almost like the material that's on the outside of a tent. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but more importantly than that. The the name that has kind of leaked out, or at least some of the labels that have leaked out, have called it the five percent. And so the question oh then, <laughs> so the question is, is the next one even percentier? Are you getting even a, a bigger boost, um, or are, are folks just calling it the five percent in order to distinguish it from the Vaporfly four percent? We don't know. Um, but you know, at some point, if they're like, oh, this one's five percent. Yeah, okay. You know. <laughs> now you're gonna have to really sort of back that up. Yeah, yeah. Six percent, eight percent. Oh boy. you know, I mean, yeah, it, it, at some point, yeah, you you have to wonder uh how much percent are you willing to pay for? Yeah. Um so yeah, we we, we will see when that one comes out next year. Uh, and we'll definitely talk about it on the podcast. Um All right, Patrick, appreciate it. Always good to be with you. Always a pleasure talking running and nerding out over running shoes and things of that nature with you. Right on. Forty minutes on a pair of running shoes. Absolutely. Thanks, everybody. And that'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance and Blue Pineapple Travel. Once again, you can reach out to me, George, at george at itlcoaching.com. You can reach out to Patrick, patrick at itlcoaching.com. You can send us an email at pleasantpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Twitter, at pleasantpodcast, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. Don't forget to reach out to our sponsors as well. You can find ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com, at itlcoaching on Twitter, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash performance. Finally, of course, Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, bluepineappletravel.com, and on Instagram, instagram.com slash bluepineappletravel. Thanks again for joining us, everybody. On behalf of Patrick Ollander, this is George Darden. We'll see you next time on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Thank you.